feel like Steven Spielberg in one of these chairs. Some believe inside the actor's studio. Belmont, how we doing? <laughs> Woo! How great is this? You guys feeling good? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> questionable, questionable Belmont. Okay, my name is Zach Kuhn. I'm the founder of the National Briefing. Anybody in here read the National Briefing? We've got some fans out here, some readers. Everyone else, check it out, nationalbriefing.com. It's a country music trade publication. It's right across the industry. Check it out. I think you'll like it. This is my podcast, The Zach Kuhn Show. You guys are in it right now. This is it. I've been spending the past month touring around the country doing live podcasting just like this. We were in Austin last week. We were at Belmont's rival Berkeley the week before that. They were great up there. They asked great questions, super attentive audience. I think we can beat them, though. Can we beat them, Belmont? It's not a competition, though. I don't want to start anything, but I think we can do it. I feel like this is a good group. Um, okay. My guest today is Grady Smith. Has anyone here seen a Grady Smith video? We've got some fans. We've got some people wearing Grady Smith's merch here. This is big. Here's the thing about Grady Smith. He, in my mind, he's really the only true country music critic out there because he's not afraid to speak his mind and to say how he really feels about a song, but he does it very thoughtfully with amazing insight. You will criticize an album or a song, and next week that artist will reach out to you and become your best friend. You're also an educator. You create videos about the history of country music, about the current state of country music. You have over 200,000 followers on your YouTube channel, subscribers, excuse me, and your videos get millions of views. Have I left anything out? Definitely not. I feel great about that. Thank you. We're going to get into it right here. Make some noise for Grace Smith, everybody. <laughs> Haven't even done anything yet. Here we go. Okay, Grady, your first internship out of college was at Entertainment Weekly, which meant a lot to you because you were a fan of Entertainment Weekly, right? Yeah, I loved Entertainment Weekly. I... I went to boarding school and I was like B tier in terms of my cool level at school. I mean, I was well liked, I guess, but not cool. But like the coolest dude at school, Gordon Crenshaw, he was like the senior prefect, the valedictorian, captain of the soccer team. He was like on like low key was my friend behind the scenes. And he always got Entertainment Weekly in his mailbox and didn't read it. And he would that was his like one friendship gesture is he would just slide it into my mailbox and I started reading that magazine got super into it and then uh you know I guess I manifested an internship there by I made a video yeah how, how'd you get the internship because the story kills me so you make what'd you do how'd you get the how'd you get the gig in 09 I made a video called I want an internship at entertainment weekly I think it was very novel then to do that kind of thing and uh I, I tweeted it at all their writers it was all full of inside jokes like I called out every writer on staff by name and was like, oh, whatever was jokes that were relevant at the time. Like, Michael Slezak, I also thought Fantasia should have won American Idol or stuff like that. And, and just kind of sent it to all of them. And it got the editor's attention. And I got asked to come up for an interview. And, it, yeah, it all happened after that. How old were you? 20. Okay, so you get this internship. Dream job because you're reading this publication. And now it's like, okay, you're there. Oh, what do you do? Like, out of the gate, do you do, like, intern stuff, or do you do anything interesting? So, uh, okay, so I was obsessed with the box office. That was my, like, initial thing, is I loved the movies, and I loved the film industry. So all through, like, college, I ran this blog that everyone made fun of me for called The Box Office Junkie. 
And it was all like you would do fantasy box office on Thursday night and predict how much the top 10 was going to make. And then on Sundays, so I, would fun. Do, <laughs> I would do like a report of how much everything had made. And that's how I got into making videos. That was all on on YouTube. And like now I know that's a very poor YouTube strategy, like to to <laughs> make something that's only going to be relevant for a week. That's not smart. Um, but that's kind of what I was doing at the time. And so when I was up there, um, I was working in the movies department and they would have me do, uh, no, definitely intern stuff. I mean, I got to do a few cool things, but mostly you're transcribing for people. They didn't have such sophisticated transcription software where you could just enter in an audio file and it would spit out all of it kind of transcribed you would just sit there and some editor would be like, hey, I talked to Brad Pitt for two hours in Paris for this cover story and just give you a two-hour file and you would sit there for like three days transcribing the whole thing. So here you are in like this dream internship and you're like, oh my God, this sucks. Like th this is horrible. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're so excited and oh, okay. like, you're enthusiastic and dumb to how like the working world works. So I love oh, it. Okay, so there's a moment and maybe eventually they hired you, right? Yeah, they hired me. I went back to school and then, but I moved up there without the job knowing I wanted them to hire me. So I didn't have a job when I first moved to New York. I just subletted for three months. I was like, hopefully they notice that I'm up here. And, yeah. And it worked. Okay, so there's a moment where you're working at Entertainment Weekly, and you're doing the box office, and you're doing movies, and the editor, Leah uh, Greenblatt, comes, She what does she do? She sends an announcement out to the office, and she says, Jake Owen has a new album, and we need someone to cover it. And nobody was into country music, or like nobody wanted to cover it. Yeah, they would they would farm out any country reviews to this guy, Michael Wood. And he got hired by the LA Times and had a non-compete. So he suddenly couldn't do this little capsule review. It wasn't even a big review. It was like an eighth of a page, 90 words or something. And she was like, can anyone just review this and turn it around tomorrow? And I was like, I mean, I like country. At the time, I'd, I was really having a resurgence with it. I, had, I knew exactly who Jake Owen was. And I was like, I'll do it. And I, that was kind of my first assignment in that world. And when it went online, I remember it did confusingly well. Like, we weren't a big music brand. And... I, I just saw the traffic. I'm like, that's kind of a well-performing blog post. And uh, I, I remember trying to figure out why and looking up other reviews of that album. And there was none, like, in the country. No other major publication had reviewed what was a top 10 album on, on the Billboard chart. And it just kind of immediately clicked. Like, I got begged to be in the magazine. No one else is covering this. And I think it's interesting. And so I just sort of leaned in after that. So you found this, what was the review? Was it positive or what did you have to say about the album? Uh, it was like the peak of bro country and I themed the whole review on the letter B. I remember it was stupid. It was like after all the beers and babes and beaches and brews, it all sounds like blah, blah, blah. And I gave it a B minus. Um, Ouch, a B minus. <laughs> okay, it's fine. Six out of 10. Um, okay, so you do this review and then what do you realize, wait a second, maybe I could be a voice for country music in the media space? Like, was it that, you know, was it, was it, did it happen like that? It was more just like, that was fun. She's a great editor. Um, Leah was my favorite editor to work with. And she would punch up your writing and make it so snarky and cool. Like, I remember I had to review Owl City once after that. And I, I said something like, oh, it all comes across a little bit wimpy. And she changed that line to, who wrote this, a man or a My Little Pony? And so she, she was just like a great kind of classic New York editor that was just acerbic and funny. And I liked working with her. And I was like, man, music's cool. And here's the thing. Like, the more I covered music, the more I realized how interesting musicians are. Actors are beautiful and boring. Um, 
Like, you can go to a red carpet and, you know, talk to Selena Gomez and say, you know, why did you take this role? And they'll just stare at you kind of dead in the eyes and say, it was so great to work with the director and it was an honor to be across from blah, 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 blah. Like, no one cares. They don't tell stories. Like, they're contractually obligated to be there. Uh, They don't often want to be promoting their movies. Actors are their own, or musicians, rather. Musicians are their own product. Um, they're very on. They're very crazy. They really want to be understood. They really want their music to be interpreted the way that they meant it. And so it just was more interesting, frankly. And I kind of, it wasn't so intentional to be like, oh, I'm going to be a country music thing now. But pretty quickly it did set in and I had to own. I was like, I do find this more interesting. Okay. So in 2013, you make, I guess, what's your first video reviewing country music and the video is called Why Country Music Was Awful in 2013. That, that was the name of the video, right? Which is a really funny video. I think it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but you guys should check it out if you haven't seen it. It's like it's actually a very funny video and also very thoughtful, like weirdly thoughtful. So why do what compelled you to make this video and how'd you do it? Because there's like some editing going on. And weirdly, the people at Entertainment Weekly were not thrilled about this video, even though it, it went viral, right? Like it was all over the place. Yeah, it was a very interesting, like, eye-opening experience, the whole thing. Basically, I had written an article, end of 2013, called My Top 10 Country Albums of 2013. Um, my number one was Jason Isbell's Southeastern. My number two was Sturgill Simpson, High Top Mountain. My number three was Lindy Ortega's Tin Star. Um, and there were some mainstream ones on there, but I was real into anything Dave Cobb produced. I was into it. Um, and someone on Twitter was chirping and being like, oh, you're trying so hard to be indie, and, and like, oh, you're so pretentious. This is what New Yorkers think, blah, 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 blah. And I uh, just made a video in like five hours in my bedroom. I'd never really made a supercut like that. And to send it to that dude on Twitter and just be like, well, here's why there's not more mainstream country music. Because I think it's in a bad way right now. And it's all about just like dudes saying like, hey, girl, hop up in my truck, all, all that kind of stuff. That's what the video kind of said. And it just immediately like lightning it's still my most popular video it got like 4.8 million views it was the number one story on like buzzfeed and fox news over the weekend and it was like entertainment weekly writer claps back uh, with epic country music takedown or something like that and it caused the big ruckus and uh consequently my piece that was linked in the description was like the number one story on our website for the day or for the weekend and so when I got to work on Monday, I didn't really know what the reaction would be. You kind of have this meeting and, you know, they'll say, what's happening on the, the digital side? And I remember the, the guy that ran it saying, you know, Grady's uh, country music reviews of his albums. That was our top story for the weekend. There was a video component, which um, if the top editors and Grady, you want to stay behind, we can discuss that a little more um, after the meeting. And I just was like, uh-oh. You know, that's a scary feeling. You're in the morning meeting. You're like, oh, I kind of thought I would get congratulated, but now I feel like I'm about to get in trouble. And I did. I got in big trouble. They were um, like, you know, this should have been in our exclusive Flash player. It shouldn't have just been on YouTube. We could have had like L'Oreal sponsor it. We're trying to do this. And uh, Were they right in hindsight? Like, was it sort of reckless? Even though it feels like you just want to create stuff, put it out. And like in hindsight, do you look back and you say, oh, maybe they had a point? Or do you feel like that was crazy? No, it was stupid. Um, they did nothing for all that extra traffic. And the the reality is there was, I think like, I'm so thankful for my time in, in legacy media, but it is, there's a deep uncomfortability with the fact that the membrane between reader and writer 
is getting thinner and thinner and thinner, and now it just doesn't exist. But, you know, at, at that time, I just felt, it felt like something else was at play. And I had this weird moment where the editor of the whole magazine called me in his office after that meeting and was like, he's the one that had hired me off the video. And he said, uh, you know, you did something by accident that they haven't been able to do. You made a viral video. So walk around with your tail between your legs, act like you're, you know, sad, and keep doing whatever you want. And it was kind of cool for him to say that, but I was always like, man, you always let them, like, bash me in front of the whole staff, and then you defend me privately, which I guess is cool, but I feel like I'm trying to do stuff that would be helpful to the brand, and, and they kind of, they, didn't, they just didn't feel that way. They were uncomfortable sort of leveraging the brand into the digital space, and um, uncomfortable letting writers be a little, like, weirder and more individual, which I get, but um, there's no New York office anymore. So it's tough though, um, because <laughs> like with media like that, like you want, you want an, a publication to have a voice throughout it, but at the same time, someone who has a really unique voice like yourself, it's super interesting to let that shine through, but it can kind of be hard sometimes at such an established brand, like entertainment weekly, where there needs to be a consistent voice, right? Yeah, it, it's hard. I get it. I get where they were coming from. It's just, there were, I think they were mostly just uncomfortable with it. And they looked at anything that wasn't writing as like a favor almost. So they would always say, we let you do all this other stuff. And which would be like, we let you go on the news. I'm like, yeah, but you got to get up at freaking five in the morning in South Brooklyn and go to some studio and sit in the waiting room for a three minute spot on, you know, the today show, the weekend today. Yeah. Right. Right. And like, I get that is cool. It is, but it's like, I didn't make any extra. I made 29,995. Um, I lived with six other dudes in South Brooklyn in a converted recording studio. So it was not like a glamorous life. And it was, there was just a, a disagreement about the value of stuff like that. Okay. So you have this moment of reality where this video blows up and does that get your reels spinning? Cause you then made another video about snap tracks and country music. Was that the next video you made? Uh, in a way it was the next video I made, but it was like seven or it was like years later so it was years before you made another youtube video yeah so you so then you put your head down you write you at entertainment weekly i decide i hate the media and i hate the person i'm becoming truly i got like a big breakdown quarter life crisis i uh moved down to virginia i, I literally after that experience there was a few others and i just was like i don't think i want to be here I was like, I think everything everyone says is true. They do look down on most of America, all that stuff. And I was very like, I just wanted out of media. And I uh, quit. I moved down to Virginia, grew a beard, became like hipster restaurant dude, and worked at a taco place um, called Brazos Tacos in Virginia. And uh, worked at a hotel, worked at a little marketing company, all these little odd jobs. You figure it out. You had to figure it out. And around 2017, I was like, I think I overcorrected. Um, I, I was literally down to like, I had a flip phone for five years. I wanted nothing to do with media. I was very resentful. And, um, I was working at the restaurant and I was like, man, I'm kind of good at that stuff though. I kind of miss it. Everyone says all of like media's moving to video. Maybe they're right. Maybe I should just, you know, start my YouTube channel back up in a more dedicated way. And so I just started doing reactions on YouTube. I was really into this guy at the time called Dylan will not participate. And he did album reactions and, I loved watching those, and so I was like, I want to try. So I think I rebooted it with a Lauren Elena album reaction to her Road Less Traveled album, and uh, which is why I get annoyed when people, so many people tell me that I, uh, I you, you hate on pop country too much. And I'm like, no, I don't. Um, I like pop country, but um, if it's good. 
but yeah, that's why that's how it started. And it was just like a, my own little secret hobby. Like, and then when all my friends found out I was doing this YouTube channel, they'd all make fun of you. If you're at a bar, they'd be like, are you going to go home and shoot a review? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just for fun. And it really was like, I wasn't expecting to make any money off of it, but the different thing that happened is at the very end of 2018, I posted that video called This Beat is Killing Country Music. It's my second most popular video with like 4.2 million views. And the difference of going viral when you have a back catalog versus the first time I went viral when... It was a dead end. It was just like a random country video. And I had already privated all my little like high school and college box office videos and stuff. Um, it was very different because then the algorithm has something to recommend. So when that video took off... Then all my old videos started to do way better as well, and I started to get subscribers. I got like 30,000 subscribers in a month, which I couldn't believe. I had like 6,000 before that, and that had taken two years to get. So that really did kind of move the needle. I always say like, like Blair, who's in the front row, we were in a class on Monday talking at Belmont, and we were talking about putting out content. And we were talking about like it's kind of discouraging when you're constantly putting out content and it's not reacting or it's not getting views or it seems like no one cares. But it's worth doing because when you finally get that piece of content that does blow up, now there's like presence to you. Like now people can go back and discover who you are and there's like a catalog of information to find, right? Definitely. I mean, I think it's cool in like certain YouTube videos that weren't successful sort of sometimes you 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 just stop trying you stop changing the thumbnail and changing the title and you just forget about it because you're like whatever i guess it just isn't a good video and then you check back a year later and you're like damn that one actually ended up doing okay and sometimes they just kind of click along and find an audience slow so what was the snap video because i love this video where you were basically you pointed out how there was one beat in country music that was used in every song that year and then you laid snaps over an Allison Krauss song to show how funny it would be if this song came out today it would sound like this and you put snaps in the song, right? How'd you, like, what was that video? Was that, did that feel like this thing that was going to go viral and be brilliant? Or was it just another video you were making and it connected? I honestly did have a feeling about it. I was like, this is a smart observation I've not heard anyone make. But, I mean, I would have been pumped if it got 50,000 views. I mean, my videos would get like 1,000 views. So, um, uh, it was basically saying that the country music is currently overrun with snap tracks. That's what I call it. And, uh, instead of real drums. It's like such a weird specific thing for that to be one of the biggest statements I've ever made. It's very, I'm like, okay, I guess I'm passionate about it. I just thought, um, but I was, uh, I was fired up about it, I guess. And I, I made a good compilation and it really hit a nerve, I guess, like the first one did as well. And um, yeah, then that was when things got like really different. That's when I started to, weirdly, Brian Kelly called me uh, or d DM'd me on Instagram. He's one of he's the Florida half of Florida Georgia line, um, and he was like, "Hey man, uh, I liked your video. Here's my number. Give me a call." And I was like, "What the?" Hell? And weren't you kind of hating on him in your video? Yeah, they're the very first clip. And then he um, reaches out to you. And why do you think he wasn't like screw this guy? Like he he was he wanted to know you. Like he wanted to meet you. Uh, it was that's what I I mean I don't trust people very much. And so I was, but I was like, but I'm not important enough to manipulate. So like why the hell is he DMing me? And I just remember calling him in a, I was in a parking lot of a Pier 1 in Charlottesville, Virginia. And uh, he he was like, dude, I just think you're good at this. You present in a clear manner. You're harsh, but you're not an asshole. And you can be like, you can be mean so long as you're thoughtful. But if you're mean and not thoughtful, then you just suck. But you're not. 
And that's always stuck with me. That's like good advice. Um, defend the things that you're saying if you're being hard, harsh, and it doesn't actually sting so bad. Um, but he was just cool. He was like, I think you need to believe in yourself. And I was such hard soil, you know, when you try to like water a plant and the water will just like sit on top of it if it's not able to absorb. That's how I was. He said the nicest things in the world to me. And I hung up the phone and I was like, ugh, I hate that guy. <laughs> um, and, and then like two years later, it really all had sunk in some of the, th I remember, and it really helped me some of the things he said about, you know, you should have some confidence. You're good at this. Like at the time I just was, I think, scared to go back into media. I was like, no, I don't want to become this person again. I worked so hard to get out of this, but I was lying to myself. I mean, what am I doing? I wasn't accidentally posting hundreds of videos to the internet. Um, like, so I had to at least own yeah. uh, that. I think I actually want this. He's one of the most charming guys ever. 100%. When you will criticize an, a song or an album in a video, is that because does that get a bigger reaction and go more viral? Do you have like this urge to just say how you feel? You are very thoughtful with it, but I imagine it's kind of scary because now you live here and you see these people in the streets and at Red Door or whatever. And it's like, you're literally saying their, their music, which is their most personal, intimate thing to them that you're not a fan of. And you have this massive platform. Is it hard to do that? Or do you feel it's important work? Why do that? I think I used to feel more compelled to, like that be my persona that I'm of the really, guy who's harsh or, or a, a, a hard critic. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I consider myself actually a very positive uh, reviewer and, and critic, but all of my most popular things I've ever said are negative. And that's just how the internet works. And so that's why it's so annoying. People are like, I don't, I don't click on negative stuff. I'm like, yes, you do. We all do. It's uh, but you know, I, I think the core audience kind of gets, I, I actually take more heat for being too nice uh, than I do for, uh, being too harsh, but, uh, I think I used to feel like I needed to lean into that persona maybe three or four or five years ago, I guess three years ago. Uh, and now I, I, I don't know. Now I just, it, I, I think I've seen enough times that people are not that sensitive. Like, uh, People that you can. I write things and people call me, you know, screaming at the phone. And I go, that wasn't even an insult. That was a compliment. You're still yelling at me. I think people can be sensitive. Uh, the artists aren't, though. The, the artists, artists aren't. Like, they resent the yes men around them. And they, like you say, that's the weirdest part about Nashville is you say, I didn't like that song. And people lean in and they're like, hey, I like you. And you're like, what the hell? <laughs> like, um, it's very interesting. And it's kind of made me, I don't know, just think about how. There, people crave, people always crave honest feedback. And so um, I have found that the only people that really get in a feeling about a bad review is the shell of people that surround someone important. Um, those are the people that come up to you at Red Door and being like, yo, he works really hard in his music. I don't think you should need to bash it. And I'm like, he DM me and said he thought it was funny. <laughs> so like, it's, it's a, I don't know. I don't feel, at this point I am, I think everyone probably has like some feeling of fear when you're being outspoken about something of, I don't want to piss off this fan base. Um, I'm scared of the country rap world, I'll be honest. I had a whole tiff with Upchurch years ago when I gave one of his songs a bad review, and then he made a whole video about me. That was an unpleasant few months of my life. You had it coming, though. I mean, you, you play fire with fire, right? I didn't – I'm not like that. Like, I'm sensitive. Like, if when someone makes a – like, you know, I, I, I thought it was a measured review. Yeah. But – uh wow it's hard to know yeah that was a oh, that was a crazy so uh, there's things where it's like yeah i still get triggered i'm scared to say it but there's just a piece of me that's like what's the point if you're not saying what you think yeah um anyone in here want to be a content creator they're everywhere okay 
So now you make this video that goes viral about Snapchats or Snap tracks in country music. And what do you do next? How do you grow your following? Like, what's the strategy? How do you figure this out? Uh, first, I had to talk to my boss. I was at like a regular corporate job. And uh, Kevin was like, you're not doing anything. What's up with you? And I was like, so I have this YouTube channel. And currently, like, I'm really distracted by it because I have this video going viral. And I had to show him it. <laughs> and like, and he was so kind. He was like, hey, you deserve this. And you should quit. Not yet, but I mean. And go pursue what? Being a critic or a YouTuber yeah. or. A, he said yeah, it yeah. immediately. He was just like, I know we're going to lose you. That's fine. Uh, stick with us to the summer. And it was good. Like, basically, I kind of was like, I'm going to try and do this more diligently. And by July, so that video popped off in December, January. And by July, I went full time on YouTube. And it was way too soon to do it, to be honest. I only made because you weren't making enough money. Well, I kind of made the decision to go full time based on how much money that video was making. But most videos don't make you know as much as something that gets four million. When views. you include other music that's like licensed music in your videos, do you can you monetize those videos on YouTube, or does YouTube take the monetization? If you're creative. Um, how are you? How do you get creative about it? I never play any music for more than eight point two seconds, and YouTube and doesn't I never flag show it, it with the music video for more than five point one seconds. And sometimes I will use live clips because you can; they're not automatically claimed by Content ID. And YouTube in recent years has become a lot more. They used to just default to the labels, and if they if you had two seconds of a song, they could copyright claim you. Or the publishers usually are the people that are copyright claiming, and then they would get you know the vast majority of your revenue. Now it's they keep the language pretty vague on YouTube, but they'll say mm, try and keep it into the single digits in terms of how many seconds do you play music, and then you can monetize those videos. Yeah, and sometimes you still run into trouble, but I think it's I think like the whole point that makes YouTube good for music is being able to hear what I'm talking about. Like Anthony Fantano is. By far, by far, by far, the biggest music creator. Do you guys know Anthony Fantano? Does anybody listen to him? We got some people. Yep. And he puts no music in his videos. Yeah. Um, so why put music in your videos? I just think it's, it's a better. better product. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So uh, so in doing this and growing the following, you leave this job. You now are like, okay, I'm going to become a full-time YouTuber. I mean, how do you do it? Like, is it just consistency, constantly putting out content, trying to make the content better with every video? Like, how... like. Somehow you've sort of fig you figure it out. Yeah. Do you, do you know how you figure it out, or it was no, just, I'm, just consistency? I'm not consistent. Um, everyone. What happened? How did we get here? I mean, I guess I guess I'm uh, consistent enough, uh, but I've never been on a schedule. I kind of I sort of like derailing every once in a while and just having. You know what sucks is when you become that YouTuber that's like, I need to take a break for my mental health. That happened to me. I got like really in a rut, and then I just quit posting for like two months, but. Uh, overall, I guess I have been consistent. I've never had a job for four years before, and I've been doing this now full-time for four years, so there is some consistency to that. It definitely becomes a bit of a grind, but I think the biggest thing is, when I think about it, how did, how did that first year work? Um, I, I was really struggling out of the gate. This, was, this is going to be a little bit emo. I was really struggling out of the gate. My dad got leukemia. Oh, man. And uh, I remember it was the day that Lover by Taylor Swift had come out. So I'm driving home to where my folks live, and I was listening to that song, Soon You'll Get Better, and talking about her mom getting cancer, and I'm, like, sobbing in the car. And it really I, – I wasn't – I was just so distracted. I wasn't posting a lot. And I get there, and I'm visiting my dad, and he's fine now. 
but like uh he gave me the meanest speech he gave me a real dad moment where he's like why aren't you posting and I was like, Dad, I'm here to visit you. We don't need to talk about this. And he's like, no. Do you think it's honoring me to watch you not live up to your own potential? And uh, that, that got you going. It pissed me off so much. I was like, I'm here visiting you. I care about you. Why? That's why I haven't been posting. Because he, like, was, he was helping you. He saw your potential. He did. And it really helped me, to be honest. Like, I'm really thankful for that advice because it did kick me in the ass. And I started, I was like, okay, I need to, and I, I had like a good solid next few months of routine, which is not my strong suit. And uh, yeah, I think posting more, I mean, we're kind of in a, I think my videos are high quality, but we are kind of in a quantity world at the moment, um, especially when it comes to short form content, more is more. And so I think it is a lot of times as simple as you keep feeding the machine and the YouTube algorithm is pretty loyal. Um, the TikTok, you know, Sometimes you make something great, it just, for whatever reason, that one gets like 800 views, and then the next one gets like 500,000, and it's hard to predict. YouTube's not really like that. It's a little bit more patient. So, I th yeah, I guess I guess just consistency. So you feel like when you put out a video on YouTube, your audience finds it. YouTube sends it out, and the people who are fans of you are able to find it and listen to it. And you put out a video like... Uh, you put a video out like two weeks ago. It had like almost 100,000 views instantly, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it helps. Anything about Morgan Wallen does better uh, than anything yeah. else right now. Morgan Wallen, Zach Bryan, they're pretty reliable for clicks. But um, but yes, I think YouTube does a good job of that. And it's and it's funny because there was a while a couple years ago where all the kind of new, new school influencers, and I like them. I like the kind of like new class of country media people, like the country centrals of the world. But they're all like arrogantly saying like youtube's dying like that's like for old millennials and i've heard that the whole time i've been on youtube and i'm like it's yet to die guys um it's still relevant it's still doing well it's still uh i i think shorts is gonna work personally um or they're just gonna spend enough money to get to get it going or to get tiktok banned um <laughs> they're could, it could happen um okay so you moved to nashville last year and How's it been like fitting into the community, networking? Like you moved here, did you feel like you had to network and do something to meet people? Did people know you? What's it like coming to Nashville after you've been having this career as a YouTuber for years, to saying so much about the industry, and now you're finally in the industry face-to-face -face with everyone? How's that going? I was super scared. Uh, I was scared that I would be compromised not be honest um i don't want to offend the publicist next door or the artist at red door i am often at red door um <laughs> and it's honestly been fine it's been i think people here have the best attitude i mean it's so like i'm from charlottesville virginia that's a very intellectual town your kind of currency there is you know intelligence i suppose people will it's very normal to be at dinner and someone be like did you read the atlantic this week and you'd say, of course, um, or something like that. But, you know, here it's like just much more friendly, hopeful. It is a town of dreamers, and I'm a bit stormy. And I think there's a nice, like, yin to my yin. Like, it's a very cool balance. And I find them a very, like, I find it very easy to be highly motivated here. Because, like, I remember the first time I had a viral video, the Snapchat video. This is being a good friend where I'm from. This was the real reaction of my best guy friends. We're out getting a beer. And they're like, dude, so now that you have this viral video, like, are you concerned about, like, are you happy about that? Like, do you think that's going to be good for you? Do you feel like, uh, are you at all concerned, like, you know, he's going to get the big head. 
yeah, but, but there's never a moment where it's like, can we just like say cheers first and yeah. like celebrate for one second? But in Nashville, people um, are. Nashville people, well, too much. They'll be like, let me buy you a shot. That's awesome. You had you had a million views. But it is like, it was kind of it messed with me in a good way. Where when I first got here, I'm like, you can just be happy when you accomplish something that's so awesome so yeah, right i've loved nashville way more than i thought i would so you really are a beacon for country music you have such a you know your knowledge of it is incredible you'll go on like the new york times music podcast and talk about the state of country music what is the state of country music right now i get the feeling that you're pretty optimistic about it there's a lot that you're excited about when historians look back on the state of country music today this year, what are they going to say? And who are the artists who are going to stand out? I think it's in a great spot right now. It's crazy to think, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, I felt that, I don't even think it bro country was like evil just for being bro country. But I think it was the homogenousness of the genre that made it dreadful. Um, you would never go to an ice cream shop and just expect to see every single bin of ice cream just be the same flavor. Like it would be annoying if they were all vanilla or all chocolate. You'd be like... Oh, I kind of was excited to see the different flavors you had. That's how like country radio felt 10 years ago. It was just like, we get it. And now it's funny because you'll hear some of those songs and they're total like fun bangers. They're fun to hear at a party, but when it was the only thing, it was so annoying. I think country is so like it has splintered in a million directions right now. I think it's almost a Nirvana moment uh, for country music. That's how I describe it. Like in the same way that early 90s, you're coming out in the rock world of, you know, sequins and big hair and uh, glam rock and, and that kind of like cheesiness. And then Nirvana came along and they were disillusioned and angsty and anarchist. And um, the young kids loved it. And the labels were like, why? Um, but I think they had to learn, well, the tastes change. Um, and then that we you get Pearl Jam and REM and Soundgarden and um, I kind of think that's happening in country right now. There's been this vibrant alternative scene. You go back to Isbell, Sturgill, but then bands like Whiskey Myers, anyone that's like playing on Yellowstone regularly. That's been a thing happening for a while, but now I think Zach Bryan has made it this undeniable uh, reality. It's like you can't ignore it anymore. Um, it's It's here, and I think you're starting to see how even the powers that be in the mainstream are reacting to that. So, man, I just think it's in a cool place right now. I think, like, everyone from – it's so country. Like, Luke Combs said that at the CMAs last year. He's like, this is the countryest this award show has sounded in a long time. I agree. I mean, Lainey Wilson, Carly Pierce, those are country records. Um, same to have, like, John Party be a mainstream star. That's so cool. I mean, there's so much fiddle and steel all over those records. And then you've got people reaching across the aisle – to the red dirt scene and you have like Luke Combs inviting 49 Winchester to open for him or Ernest going to write with Co Wetzel. Um, you'll even see a friendly comment like uh, from like Morgan under a Zach Bryan post. And you're like, wow, the two kind of figureheads of like the mainstream and the indie world are that even they can, you know, shake hands, reach across those party lines. So I just think it's in a really cool, good spot. You've talked about how the best pulse that you have on country music is your DMs. And that's how you were so early on Zach Bryan because endless people were DMing you saying, if you checked out Zach Bryan, you should review Zach Bryan. Who's DMing you now? Anyone? Uh, or who's DMing you about artists? Yeah, the, the ones that, who's, who keeps coming up right now. Like, who's about to have a big moment, Grady? Prophesize this. Okay. I think that uh, 
So there's a few people out of Texas. I'm, I've been hearing a bunch about Josh Malloy. That name keeps coming up. Josh Malloy. Uh, Nolan Taylor seems to be like the... Out know, of do the, you guys know Nolan Taylor? Anyone? This is deep. Nolan Taylor. Okay. He's just like some husky dude with a beard playing songs outside, but... Uh, outside what? Like in a creek. I don't know. What? Like, I don't know. He has like a... <laughs> outside, outside, outside. <laughs> How do you outside. know about him? Because people are DMing you about him? He's got some viral YouTube videos from like some of those places like Radio WV. There's some channels like Gems on VHS, those kind of acoustic-y channels. I think we're in a lo-fi mode. I think like a lot of people that are popping off have just kind of a cool acoustic set of videos, same way Zach Bryan did. And I think that is moving the needle for a lot of independent artists more than like a high production music video. Okay. Makes sense. So when you're at a dinner party and someone asks you what you do, what do you say? Do you say I'm a YouTuber and where are we going? Is it more YouTube videos? Is it longer form content? Is it continuing what you're already doing? Where do you see the Grady Smith project or the, the, yeah, yeah, the Grady Smith project? Where's it going to go? If someone asks me at a dinner party, I say YouTuber, and then I try as hard as I can to just change the subject because it does suck all the air out of a room, I feel like. and then Does it? I feel like it's kind of cool. Well, especially if you're with, like, like my parents, friends or something, then it's just they're very intrigued by it and are like, wait, so how do you get money? And they want to know all that. And, and it is interesting, but I feel you just start to feel like a me monster. For all you content creators out there, that's what you have to look forward to, dinner parties, people asking you what you do. Okay, so YouTuber. Uh, yeah, so I'd say that. And I think as far as where things are going, geez, I wish I knew. Um, I came to Nashville to learn to work with others again. Like I'm so blessed, but like, I'm, it's like pretty lonely. <laughs> like you're just alone all day. You shoot a Creating video. content. Yeah. You shoot a video in your room, then you edit it in your room. And then you're like, well, I haven't seen anybody in like 48 hours. Uh, and then a lot of people watch it, but you're like, I don't know them. So I, I'm just like, I got to figure out a better setup. I don't want to turn like 40, then 50 and just be like alone all the time. Like it's, Making content. It's yeah. hard, right? So I, uh, I came here to sort of learn how to play with others. And I'm open to all sorts of different things. Like the only thing I'm not open to is being told what to say or what I have to say. So I've had a few sort of deals like that were on the table of, oh, you could have this radio show or whatever, but with some pretty big caveats of, you know, it, you would be supporting the artists within this management company. or the, and, and I'm just like, well, my only calling card is like that I, I can be honest. And so um, I'm very, I'm very uh, paranoid always about like having control relinquished, but I'm trying to, I think I'm, I'm trying to learn how to get videos out more consistently. The big thing for me is trying to get out of just being a reviewer. Um, I feel like I get it. There's always going to be a new album and a new Buzzy album. There's always going to be something to review, but it just gets, uh, at, at a certain point, it's less interesting. So I'm trying some a little bit more Mr. Beastie on location videos. Like my legs are going to be on camera. That's crazy. I'm going to be walking mm -hmm. around. Um, no one's ever seen me like not at my desk. So we're doing, we're shooting one right now. Uh, that's, it's called, like, I got made into a country star in 24 hours, and I'm letting Nashville manufacture me. So I have a co-write. Oh, I love that. I have a makeover uh, with, like, a big stylist and, like, a photo shoot. And it's, like, you know, a way of showing industry jobs and what goes into that kind of thing. And then we're doing another one that's going to be expensive but fun called I Went to Every Celebrity Bar in Nashville. 
um, and get it like a, yeah, just trying different things where I'm like, that's stuff I wouldn't be able to do by myself or in Virginia. So let's take advantage of the place I'm in. What's the biggest source of monetization on your videos? Is it the YouTube algorithm or do you sell sponsorships in the videos? Uh, there's so many different ways to make money, but by far the biggest for me is just AdSense, just the regular ads pop up on, on YouTube. Yeah, they run before, after, and during. If your video is over eight minutes long, you can have what are called mid rolls. So those are ads that run in the middle of a video and everyone gets annoyed at them, but those make a lot of money. They pay for the content. Yeah, and then I, you can make a sponsors. So like, I just submitted right before coming here a sponsored post to, for my next video. Someone reached out and they said, hey, we want to do three sponsored videos. You agree upon a fee of like, here's what it costs for 60 seconds. And then they pay you directly. Um, and it's not like, like with AdSense, YouTube gets a portion and I get a portion. I get 55% of any money earned on my videos. With a sponsorship, you got to do a lot more work and set up the sponsorship, film it, submit it to them. They'll be like, oh, we actually changed to this logo. Can you use this logo instead? And you make a little change for it. And then, yeah, they, YouTube doesn't touch any of that money. Okay, fair enough. Anybody got any questions? I think we have some microphones that we can send around. If anyone has questions for Grady, YouTuber, content creator, country music specialist, expert, right back here. We also, we have some tour t-shirts. We're going to give out some shirts Hello. that everyone who asks a question is going to get a shirt. Here we go. Okay. Who's going first? So uh, now we're getting questions. We got a box of shirts here we got to get rid of. Who's first? Right here. How you doing, man? Uh, my name Wait, is I Cole. can't see. I'm from Where Houston. Um, oh, you're right there. I got you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So um, the biggest question I have is, um, and you kind of answered this a little bit when you were describing, you know, your come up and exactly what you went through, this and that. But a lot of people say, like, anybody, you know, can get it. The hard part is keeping it. So what would you say was the biggest thing that allowed you to keep and maintain and not only maintain, but, you know, incline the level of your success throughout your journey? Such a good question. I think I, uh, you got to have hits. Most of the videos aren't hits. Uh, you know, I, they level out at a fine place. They make good enough money. Like YouTube's not as lucrative as people think it is. Yeah. But I think I've had a, some well-spaced smashes. And in every case, it was a video. I, I guess my answer to your question is videos that require a lot of planning and an acceptance of some delayed gratification. Cause I did a, like I've, I did a few projects. I did one called every country song has these lyrics. Right. And it was uh, addressing the claim that every country song is just about beer and jeans and trucks. And so we did like a lyric analysis of every song that had reached the top 30 for like seven years and put it in through, like got some person that did like Python to like make a whole script. And we determined like what literally are the most common words in country halfway through that project. I wanted to die. I mean, it was like so much more ambitious than I realized. And frankly, the video didn't take off out of the gate, but it really over time found a big audience. And those videos that smash, they lift the tide for everything else. Like we were saying of, uh, so, so I think you need to have some big kind of ambitious concepts, or at least I have. And, Normally, you can, like, it's just something that, like, I'm kind of working on for six months. But that kind of diligent, actually useful uh, content that teaches something new, that says something that hasn't been said, 
I don't know. I think that's what does it. So something that's maybe not as joyful as what would be your niche product. Yeah, not but something that's going to allow other people to then find your niche product as well as, you know. Yes. Okay. It's, I guess it's like those videos that can be the top of the funnel. I understand. And one more question before I let somebody else get it. Um, You're only getting one T-shirt. <laughs> hey, I, shit, I can only wear one. Um, How many? So how old are you? 33. 33? Okay, so I'm 22. From the age of your early 20s, what would you say is the biggest change in your mindset now that you're 33, now that you've found success within what you do and this and that? God, that's so deep. Oh, my God. I think the – my self-assurance. I think – Self-assurance. I think uh, – I can't control how I'm perceived. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, there's like a, a Rorschach test or those little like ink blots that therapists hold up and they say, what do you see? And you might say an angel and someone else might say a butterfly. Um, when you're on the internet, you're a Rorschach test. If you roll into my video and think, oh, you're some guy from the city that looks down on country people, you find what you're looking for. Uh, the same goes the other way where pr- certain people are like, oh, you just like this album because, you know, you'll, you like to hype anything that's like by some bro in country. And, you know, they find that, too. And so I think I've learned the hard way. Like, that's just out of my control. And I know yeah. who I am. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. That helps a lot. Thank you. Okay, who's really next? All right, bye. Get this guy's T-shirt. T-shirts don't throw. It's horrible. We got to get cannon. that back to him. Should have brought a cannon. Oh, my goodness. Great questions. Should I, should I ask mine now? What's you're up, up, man. Where are you? Uh, oh, you're up right there. Here, I got right it. here. I'm a big fan, dude. My mom let me know about this like three hours ago. I don't check the Wellcore calendar. <laughs> are you even a student? Do you yes, even go I, here? I'm a junior. I just don't look at the Wellcore. Whoops. <laughs> go, but, mom. All right. So I love your video about the new Hardy album. It's easily my favorite album in the last like six months. I want to know because as a fan, I sort of wonder what the next step's going to be for him. You know, you can't do the half lowercase, half uppercase thing every time. What do you think the next move should be for him to continue the success that he's on right now? I don't know. I think, like, when artists are authentically chasing what they want, it's always the most interesting thing. Even, like, weirdly, I would compare Hardy's new album to Kelsey Ballerini's new one, and that's the poppiest thing she ever did, and it's so compelling. Um, So I just want him to keep being honest. I think if Hardy... I sense from him on that album, he almost wants to let go of the super clever Nashville hooky songwriting style where he makes a pun, uh, where he mentions, like, uh, screen uh, and it talks about looking at a screen and then it comes back around he's looking through a screen that stuff's cool but I felt like the album was almost him admitting like I'm kind of over this style and I just want him to be way more stream of conscious like I love on Mockingbird and the Crow how weird and unstructured that song is and I want him to lean more into that word thank you <laughs> yeah who else who else we gotta get this guy a t-shirt Hey, y'all. I'm over here. Hey. Also, thank you guys for being here. We're so appreciated. Um, I was wondering if y'all can maybe speak to your opinions on cancel culture currently, like, especially from the point of view of Grady, you mentioned, like, being afraid to offend the fan base, or even from the other end of, like, Morgan Wallen having a giant cancel situation and then being able to come back from it. Just what y'all's opinions are. God, we're going to get canceled answering this question. Oh, my goodness. Do you want to say something? What was the question? What are the thoughts on it? Yeah, just y'all's opinions and, like, how y'all have to approach that as, like, content creators and where y'all have to be careful and where your honesty comes in, but in, like, 
a sensitive way. Totally. I I mean, I have a ton of thoughts on it. I I there is a narrative that has formed around the term cancel culture where there's like a deep resentment that I notice online where people are like, "Oh, cancel culture isn't real." And I think it's typically wedded to the idea that the only part of cancellation that happens is around like your ability to do business and make money. I would argue the more insidious part of cancel culture is the sort of feeling of unacceptability that people then harbor for their whole life. They become these kind of like abused puppies where they're like, they don't trust. They, they feel like when they walk in a room, oh, does everyone actually think this about me or that about me? To me, that's a way more damaging thing and that like a, the harm to the human soul that it can do and way more crushing in the long run. I mean, no one with money is happy. So um, I, I, I don't think it's like, I guess that's my, my first thought of it. There's an amazing book called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Um, such a good book. And he interviews this guy, John Ronson, the guy that wrote The Men Who Stare at Goats. He writes all, of, he interviews all these people that have been canceled sometimes for legitimate reasons. It's like, well, you were the CEO of a big company and photographed in the front page of the sun for hooking up with uh, a prostitute um, and like, uh, yeah, now you're fired. And then other people that it's just a complete miscommunication and some picture of them went viral and it wasn't even them and they lose their jobs. And he interviews kind of how they get through it. Totally recommend it. But something that he says in that book that has always stuck with me is he says, um, you know, public shamings, like standing in a gallows and having tomatoes and cabbage thrown at you, those have been outlawed for about 100 years now and every, everywhere. But like social media is the new place where we're able to do it. And we're all kind of fascinated by it. The same human spirit that drove people to go watch someone standing in the courtyard or look at Hester Prynne with a scarlet letter uh, in the middle of town, you know, that's still a piece of the, the human experience. And for some reason, we are fascinated by it. And he, he just says, like, you got to own that in yourself. So I, I don't know if I'm answering your question fully, but I think it is real. I think it's scary. And as far as what I can do about it, because I've had a lot of, like, mini cancellations over the years of you piss off some fan base or, or whatever. Even but, recently, you did a Taylor Swift video. And in the video, you were half kidding, but you were like, I hope the Swifties don't attack me. And I kind of felt like you weren't really kidding. Well, I'm a... <laughs> The weirdest thing that ever happened, I haven't been on Twitter for years, but when I was on Twitter way back in the day, I posted, this was so weird, when when she was coming out with Lover, I posted, it's kind of cool that Taylor didn't do an interview for her entire reputation era. It literally has newsprint on the cover, and she didn't once explain herself in the news. Um, that was it. That was the tweet. I mean, it got like 100 likes or something, fine. But then Taylor liked it. Um, I didn't tag her. I don't tag anyone. So she must have... I don't Tina. know. She somehow saw it. She liked it. And then it suddenly had like 40,000 likes. But then the weirdest thing happened, which is it went into the Beyonce world, that tweet, because Beyonce also doesn't do interviews, which is true. Uh, but they were like, oh, Beyonce's not been doing interviews for years. And yet this man is uh, congratulating Taylor for it. Sounds about white. And uh, like it, it just went my next like three days. It was such a crazy one that it didn't like hurt my feelings that bad. But it was wild to watch like this you know I, i'm maybe a little better equipped for it than a lot of people i can kind of handle that but if you if that was your first rodeo of getting that many messages it could be so scary and i think um i don't know i just think i'm uh like i said you can't control how people perceive you and ultimately uh, you don't have to respond uh, to every single 
thing. So I, I don't know. You, I could literally talk about that for an hour, but I'm being incoherent. <laughs> Great question. Who else? We got to get her a T-shirt. Running on T-shirts. Okay, how do we get this to you? This is not going to fly. I already know. It's horrible. It, it landed on Blair. <laughs> we'll send it back. Okay, so I'm over here. Over here. Hello. Got gotcha. you. Hard <laughs> to find people here. Okay, yeah. over there. I was just wondering, because even just since I've gotten to Nashville, I think this has happened a little bit to me, but do you think doing this makes it hard to just enjoy country music like you did before? Yes. Cool. I definitely I definitely think it does. But it's um because you everything you listen to it's like you're on you're analyzing you're like how is this interesting? Yeah, I mean that's part of why I like I don't listen to advances. Um which my life would be so much easier if I did cuz everyone sends advanced them. album copies like when a publicist will send you an advance. Yeah, they'll send you like, "Oh, here's Luke Combs's album 6 weeks." I never advance. they send them to me all the time. I never I've never listened to one. They're a pain to open too. They're a pain to get into and listen to. I mean, but it is useful. Like in the magazine world, you got to do it that way yeah. because you got to have time for the magazine to print and stuff. And so you got to listen to stuff early. But I, as a YouTuber, I don't do it because I want to stay a fan because I find like the thing that really makes it fun is just being one of the people and to like experience an album when it comes out with everyone else and like log into some random discord and just see what people are saying about it. Like that's super fun. So I think that's kind of how I try to keep the spirit alive because otherwise, yeah, it's it crushes you. Awesome. Thank you. Great question. Okay. I think we have time for one more and we're running out of shirts. Okay. Here we go. One last question, maybe two more, but definitely one more. Okay. Um, so this is a kind of a two-parter, but when you're listening to music, do you ever like compartmentalize? Like I'm going to review this or I'm just enjoying this and just listening and also, how do you decide what music you're going to review? Uh, yes, I, I definitely do. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I don't go into every album being like, I'm going to review this. I mean, there's a lot of like random albums where I, I'm not going to go out of my way to say if some album with a person that has 316 listeners on Spotify, if I don't like it, I'm not going to I'm not going to say that. I'm just like, OK, that wasn't for me. Um but yeah. And then when I'm outside of like, I don't, I do not listen to country like at the gym or anything. I listen to like really crappy, like TikToky, uh, like pop punk by kids like Jaden. I love Jaden. Um, like that's, so I think I got to have like my, my outside stuff where I'm like, this is just for me. This is like my thing. I'm not going to ever talk about it. I just want to enjoy it because otherwise you just become like a snob. Um, and then as far as what I'm going to review, some things are obvious. Uh, if Morgan's coming out with an album, like, well, you're going to need to do, if you're the country YouTube guy, you're going to need to like dedicate your next three days to listening to that and making a review. Uh, same with, you like, spent six hours listening to it. You listen, three times three, you listen to it, right? It's a damn long album. Yeah. It's an hour, 52 minutes. Um, it's like, let's take a deep breath and listen to a million songs about drinking too much whiskey. And you just sit on your couch and listen. How, how do you oh, listen? No, I, what do you do? I walk around malls. That, that's what you do? You go, like, Green Hills Mall and you'll walk around? I don't like Green Hills. I like Rivergate. I like a Rivergate good, Mall. I like a good, trashy, like, I love a mall where just, it is the it is like the, the cross-section of, like, Auntie Anne's and, like, Journeys. <laughs> like that but that's really is, what you do. You'll listen to music, you'll put in headphones, and you'll walk around a mall. Yeah. Or Walmart. 
I mean, literally. Or or so you like, did that for six hours with the Morgan Wallen. Oh uh, no, that one I went to the Greenway. It was a nice day that day. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I walk or I get in my car, because um, otherwise I end up thinking I can multitask and put in headphones. But then I'm trying to look at something on my computer and I'm like, I have no idea what I've listened to for the last three songs. So. So, I mean, honestly, it's a mix of what's going to do well and then what am I passionate about um, and what's interesting. So I think like that's part of what really did my, my Entertainment Weekly experience. They talk a lot about the mix of the magazine. Any spread you want guys and girls like on you don't want to just have like eight of the same kind of illustration or even like for me, I think about it with genres a lot. Like I want to have someone really poppy and someone really country and someone that's buzzy with the indie people and someone that's like annoying and viral on TikTok. Like all of those are essential elements, I think, especially when you're making a list, year end lists. There's definitely times where I bump something from like, you know, it would be my number 11, but I'm going to make it number eight because it's good for the mix. <laughs> so uh, all that stuff. Okay, I think we have time for one more question. Let's see how this shirt third goes. Oh, that was the best one I've done. It still sucked. Um, we're out of shirts, though, but we do have time for one more question. Hi, I'm Joel. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I tossed Frisbee with Joel once uh, on the Belmont lawn. lawn. This is a prop. They set up this question beforehand, and no. Do you think with the younger generation of, like, the artists coming up and, like, the Childers, Zach Bryan, area, Wyatt Floors, generation do you think there could be a radio revolution coming back i have no idea uh that's a great question um because country radio remains top of mind for everyone in this town i mean they just it's such a reliable and understood money maker that like the labels are it, it doesn't matter if everyone in this room might say like oh i don't think country radio matters that much it does on the business side and so it's, it's hard to say if that's going to happen. Like, Zach's Something in the Orange has, I think, reached the top 30, but it's maybe stalling out around, like, number 28. Um, radio, as their budgets have kind of dropped and dropped and, you know, media gets more stratified, their goal is, like, make it so that people won't change the station during their commute. And if you can have things be as predictable as possible, then the likelihood of someone changing the station goes way down. So it's, it's advantageous if there is like a very consistent kind of sound. So it's hard to imagine if they would, it definitely won't happen overnight because if suddenly you did throw Wyatt Flores on the radio, well then, you know, the nice couple that's driving back from church or something, they're just gonna be like, what is this? Uh, in that one second split decision that they turned on the radio and just change it. So I don't think it'll happen fast, but at the same time, radio's in the business of pleasing people and giving them what they want. And if the you know if something's too big to ignore, they're gonna have to reckon with it, which is exactly what's happening with Zach's song. Like why is something in the orange top 30 on country radio? That's amazing. I never thought that would happen. It's so different than everything else. So I'm hopeful that it might, but I don't think it'll be overnight. I think it'll be like 2026 that we like see the aftershocks of it or something like that. Great question. Okay. Before we wrap it up, I mentioned at the beginning that I run a newsletter. It's called the national briefing. At the end of April, we're going to launch a brand new newsletter called The Music Briefing. If you take out your phones right now, everyone take out your phone, go to themusicbriefing.com. And also, we're on tour. So we have all access passes. If you sign up for The Music Briefing and show us at the door, we've got two people. We will give you an all access pass 
for signing up for the music briefing. Themusicbriefing.com. Check it out. It's going to launch at the end of April. Super informative news on the music business. You're going to get an all-access pass for signing up. It's a big deal. It's going to get you everywhere. Flash it at Red Door. Flash it backstage at Bridgestone. It's going to get you in, I promise. Grady Smith, country music aficionado, expert, YouTuber, journalist. Can't thank you enough for coming down onto the show. That was great. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Grady Smith, everybody. Thanks to all you guys for coming out. This was super fun. This episode will be live on the Zach Kuhn Show this upcoming Tuesday, so you can go and listen to yourselves and uh, listen to us. Grady Smith, everybody. Thank you.